Special welcome to some people who might be watching online. Some of you are on your honeymoon. You know who you are? I'm glad you're watching. Uh, that meant nothing to most of you, but I just told him I'd give him a shout out because he was going to take time during his honeymoon to watch this service. So I thought he deserved that right out of the chute. Um, but, and many others are celebrating Memorial Day and they may be watching it later, so we want to welcome them as well. And, and it is Memorial Day weekend. And as Alan said, it's a time that we remember the sacrifices that were made. But I think one of the beauties of where we're going to land our service is that we're going to remember at the Lord's Supper. So we're going to culminate our morning together at the Lord's Supper. So that's why you've been asked to take the little cups of juice and the little wafer. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. But today we are going to continue on our um, series on the King's Economy. The King's Economy. And to start this morning, I think we've got a slide up. A good friend of mine, Ed Ollie. Ed used to live and work here in Pella at Central College. Now he's actually one of the pastors at Willow Creek in Chicago. And he posted this. Maybe we can get this up on Facebook. If not, I've got it here. Okay, there you go. I thought this would be a great place to start because it kind of summarizes what I would like to move forward in my life in the next few months or this year. But it also kind of summarizes a little bit about where we're going in our sermon. So he said, this year I want to be more like Jesus by hanging out with sinners, upsetting the religious people, tell stories that make people think, choose unpopular friends, be kind, loving, and merciful. And this one's my personal favorite, take naps on boats. I thought that was pretty good. I like the way that guy thinks. So that's kind of where an overarching theme of where we're going to be going. But today, the theme that Kevin gave our teaching team is this. One table, one baptism, no distinctions. So a little bit of the difference between Kevin and Brian Vandaloon. Here's the Brian Vandaloon sermon in a, well, we don't even go a sentence, two words, common ground. Common ground. That's where we're going to go to today. And so to start, I'm going to ask if you have brought your Bibles or your devices. We're going to start by reading from Ephesians 4. Now, a few weeks back, if you remember, we were in the first part of Ephesians. And one of the things, or a couple of the things that I want you to take notice of as I read through these somewhat familiar verses. Again, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 is where we're going to go. And just notice that the one is at the center. Jesus is at the center. And, and if I had a big old drawing board of some sort, you could see my artistic skills are nothing compared to what you see to my right, your left, is that I would draw a big circle in the middle and that would be Jesus. And then coming off of that are spokes. And that's all of us. Now, each of us have our differences. We have our own differing of opinions. We got sometimes a little bit of a different theology. But the thing that we need to keep in mind throughout the day, and what you're going to see that Paul says in this letter, is that the one thing we have in common, and that is Jesus. The one thing we share is that Jesus is at the center of our life. If you remember the first three chapters, maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't. The first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul has dealt with the great and eternal truths of what a Christian faith is. Now, starting in chapter four, he begins to sketch out what each member, each one of us, of the church, what we must as the church do for our part to carry out his plan. So let's read together these first few verses of Ephesians four. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Remember the calling, we've been adopted. We're his kids. 
That's the calling he's referring to. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Again, one, one, one. That's all about Jesus. So if you were with us last week, Tom talked about being in the flow. If you weren't with us last week, can I put a plug in, take 30 minutes out of your holiday weekend and go and watch that video. He did an amazing job of setting up this whole series. He talked about being in the flow. Because when your heart is open, the Holy Spirit flows in and through us which allows our eyes to see things that God is doing and then we react differently than we normally would. And we react in love from a heart that is generous. So again, remember we're talking about God's or the King's economy. And then Tom encouraged us to keep that flow going, to keep that flow going. So that's what we're gonna do. So today's 30 minutes, I'm gonna do a couple of different things. I'm gonna challenge you in some respects. I hope that's okay, that's part of what these, are, these mornings are supposed to be about. But I also want to start exercising your generosity muscle. So we're going to do some brainstorming together. I'm going to just throw some random ideas and that. I don't know how you guys work at church or anytime you listen to a speaker. But that's why I've got the note cards and the pens for you. Because what I say may be not anywhere close to worthy of writing down. But it may spur a thought or a something in your own brain. And if you're like me... By the time I get from here and I walk the two blocks to my house, I've forgotten what that really good something was. So here's what I'm gonna encourage us to do. Write your somethings, whatever that is, on this card. Take it and put it by your bed, put it on your mirror, put it on your fridge, put it somewhere in your Bible if you go there every morning, wherever it is, put your somethings that you come up with today as we kind of brainstorm. Then the other thing I just wanna point out, my dear friend Hannah is over here. She is going to, again, much like she did a couple of weeks ago for us, she is literally, I'm so excited. I'm more excited about what she's going to do than what I have to say. She is going to literally paint this sermon in one picture. And so I hope that if I talk long enough and she paints fast enough that she'll get it done. But I think we will get close to a representation of where we're trying to go and what we're trying to do. So I just encourage you as kind of as the morning goes along just to kind of watch what she's doing. But... I'm going to start this morning with a, a story. It actually happened a few years ago, and I see Coach Cutler here. He maybe can relate to it. He's going, he what, me? <laughs> so uh, my son Payson ran track a few years back. And track, if you've never been to the state track meet, uh, it's, a, it's an awesome event. It is so much fun. And this particular time was one of those Saturday mornings where it was unusually hot for the middle of May. And so... The athletes were probably not quite used to the heat, and the story, I'll, I'll try to shorten the, the story down. Lisa and I and the rest of our family were up in the stands quite a ways away, and there was a girls' event, because the boys and girls run together, and there was a girls' event, it was one of the, I think it was one of the longer races. And at the end of the race, the young lady literally collapsed at the finish line. Now the story gets interesting because her parents, we didn't know them, were literally sitting right in front of us. And the little thing about track, at least at the state track meet, is that 
particularly in those longer races, you're kind of out there by yourself because they don't allow, like the smaller meets here at home, they don't allow a lot of your teammates around, your coaches aren't around. So this gal collapses and she just kind of lays there. And where the story got really interesting and just tugged at my heart was that here's the mom going, somebody, somebody help my baby. And she's literally just laying there. And eventually, one of the trainers that, that is employed by the state comes over and kind of checks in on her, and she kind of sits up. But, and the mom just gets somebody, because there's no teammates around, because they're not allowed in the area by the finish line. Somebody help my baby. Well, it ended up being okay. But you can kind of get the idea and the picture of that mom's heart. And at the time, and it stuck with me, because I thought, what a beautiful picture of what our Heavenly Father might be saying as the world around us is hurting. He's saying, somebody, somebody help my kids. Somebody step in. 20 years ago, Philip Yancey wrote a book, What's So Amazing About Grace? It's one of the big, all-time big sellers in the Christian world. Interestingly, he also wanted to add the subtitle of, and why don't Christians show more of it? Amazing grace, and why don't Christians show more of it? A second book by Yancey, a little while, a few years later, was called Vanishing Grace. And in it, he cites a Barna study where in 1996, this is kind of where we've been with our sermon series of, of living in exile and, and being an impact on the fringes. fringes. But in 1996, 86% of non-Christians still viewed Christians favorably. 2009, that dropped to 16%. I wonder what it might be today. The question that popped up in my mind is, have you ever wondered how Christianity, something that is supposed to be about love, can be so despised? Maybe, just maybe we have missed something. A new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Or how about this, whoever is to be great amongst you must be your servant, and whoever would be the first amongst you must be the slave. So today my prayer is that we will have open hearts and open minds. As I said before, listen for what the nudges of the Holy Spirit might be given to you. What he might be saying to you, in particular, you. What's he stirring in your heart? How might you need to step out in faith? How could you, or how could I, become a conduit of this reckless love we just sang about. And you know, we've said, and as a teaching team, one of our greatest concerns, one of our biggest, yeah, I guess concerns would be the best way to describe it, is just that, that when we talk about God's kingdom, God's economy, that the first thing that goes through most people's mind, oh boy, here we go, talking about money, I got, it's really not about money. Yes, there's gonna be cases where it is about money, but that's not the overwhelming, overarching idea. When Lisa, my wife, and I were talking about this the other day, it's interesting because in our life, one of the greatest steps of faith we ever had to make had zippo to do with money. 
Our daughter Jordan, when she graduated from high school, felt a deep call and tug on her heart to go in a gap year and spend eight or nine months in Haiti. So this was Haiti back when internet connections and once a week phone call was a maybe, and it was our greatest point of trust where Lisa and I were talking and it brings goosebumps to my mind, just remembering where we literally crying out to God, she is yours, God, take her. Take her and do with her as you want. And as a parent, sometimes that is a really hard sacrifice to make. Really hard sacrifice to make. So again, it's not about money. It's about where your heart is. What might God be calling you? A few years back, I read a really interesting book. It's kind of a, it's an interesting book because it's called Guerrilla Lovers, Changing the World with a Revolutionary Compassion. And I wish I could remember the author's name, but he's kind of an edgy minister out of Las Vegas. And he, he just really said some really interesting and cool stuff. But one of the themes of this book, and where I'm wanting to go and hoping to go today, is that he talks about a contagious love. Jesus came to establish his kingdom. That's what we've been talking about. God's kingdom, God's economy. And he wanted to ignite a revolution. But as we all know, if you've followed into scripture and read any of those passages, it wasn't the revolution that his disciples and a lot of his followers thought was going to happen. And the, the point that he makes in this book, one of the points that he makes in the book is that you can tell a lot about a revolution just by looking at its leader. So what was Jesus known for? Primarily, he was known for his love. He was known for how he would love people that no one else would love, how he would touch people, how would he step into people's lives that no one else would do. He had a love that was so radical, so crazy, that it restored the souls of those that he came in contact with. I think that's why, for those of us, if you haven't started watching it, I'd recommend it. That's why that series, The Chosen, seems to resonate with so many of us because that kind of love, that kind of radical, that kind of turning people's souls and lives upside down just by how he loved them is just so, wow, it's just depicted in such a way. So if you haven't started looking or watching that series, I'd strongly encourage you to do that. So what is the kingdom of God look like? A couple of stories. Well, actually, there's one story found in a couple of different Gospels, Matthew 13 and Luke 13. It's interesting because Jesus asked that same question, what is the kingdom of God like? And you know what his answer was? It's like a mustard seed. Now, most of us have probably heard that. If you've been in church at all, it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of a comparison, a mustard seed. So here's the thing, because I'm not a farmer. Certainly not a farmer. I don't know anything much about gardening other than I haven't done what I was supposed to do this spring, which was, thank you, Lisa, for turning the garden over. That's normally my spring job, but I didn't get to it. But anyway, uh, so you know how much I know about gardening, but here's what I can tell you about a mustard seed, just to kind of help you fill in some of the gaps why that was such a radical statement by Jesus when he said that. Because a mustard seed, it grows and it's like a weed. It's a vine-like weed that will grow and grow and intertwine and with other plants. And it reminded me, again, with my very limited gardening knowledge, it's almost like if you plant pumpkins. And those plants, and they kind of they get into everything. They don't go where they're supposed to, and they're all over the place, and they're into everything. But they just keep growing, those mustard seeds. So soon they're going to touch a tomato plant, and the tomato plant gets engulfed by this mustard plant. In fact, the interesting thing about it was at that time, it was Jewish law that you could not plant a mustard seed in a garden. 
But in the Luke version, that's where he says, Jesus says, it's like a mustard seed planted in a garden. Why would that have been illegal? Well, because they knew it would grow and grow and overtake and basically rule the roost of the garden, if you will. Isn't it interesting? I wonder how people would have reacted back then. I mean, that's just, again, kind of a common story for us. But if you think about the radicalness of what Jesus just said, do something that's illegal, and that's what my kingdom is going to be like. So what was Jesus trying to tell us? The Jesus revolution is subtle. Starts small, like a weed in a garden, but it spreads. It reaches out to everything, and everything it touches, it grabs and it pulls in. It spreads from one life to another, more and more people getting pulled into it. The revolution is meant to be viral. Kind of like a disease. We've kind of gone through a period where that becomes a whole lot more obvious, but it's one of those that you want to catch. It should be contagious. But it only grows and happens if it's done right. Notice weeds. Here I'm, this is kind of the snarkiness of this particular minister in his book. But it really kind of made some sense to me. Weeds don't come in and announce they're going to take over the garden. They don't announce that they're going to have a meeting and invite the other plants in. They go out to them. They get involved in their lives. No, a weed comes in unannounced, popping up every so subtly, and then it starts to grow. And then other weeds pop up. And then those two intertwine, and they pull in another one. And they pull in other flowers. And they pull in other plants. That's the picture I want us to leave with today. Because that, that is how Jesus said his kingdom will come. That's how his revolution was going to happen. It's a love revolution that spreads from person to person. One individual to another. You know, it's really quite simple. Jesus showed us time and time again what to do and how to do it. Grace and truth. He had a beautiful way of always balancing love and truth. Now, I'm all about truth. Heavy on truth. Would never deny the truth of what Scripture is, what Scripture says. But gang, here's our reality. If you go back to those statistics as to why the world does not see us, as fondly as what we maybe would like to think? It's this. Unless we love first, we will never get a chance to share the truth. Unless we love first, we will not get that opportunity. Think about how Jesus did it. He was always grace-filled. And then he brought the truth. He would reach out to people and then he brought the truth. He had a servant-hearted love, a contagious kind of love. And then he brought the truth. You know, and that sounds good. But I don't know about you, but when I look at my life, quite frankly, I'm not always very loving. And, and I tend to, in the craziness of life, I tend to miss the quote-unquote normal hurts that the people around me are experiencing what they're going through. Sometimes it's because I'm preoccupied, I'm busy, I'm in my own world, I'm focused, whatever that is, but let's just be honest. Sometimes I'm just flat out selfish and I don't care. 
Let's compare that to the example that Jesus gave us. How he had an extraordinary reaction to a normal thing that was going on. He did something after he noticed a hurt. And it's really kind of an interesting one because it comes from a, one of those little snippets of a story that unless you, it's just an easy one to miss. It's found in Luke 7. And it's the story where Jesus is on his way somewhere, happens to notice a funeral procession, and he stops. Now, there's a lot of things we don't know about the story because we don't have a lot of details given to us in Scripture. But a couple of things that we do know. We know that a man has obviously died, and he was the only son of a widow. Now, that is sad in and of itself, but again, in the context of that society at that time in history, that's a big deal for that woman. Not only is she suffering the grief of losing her son, but the fact that she had no male in her life, her economic world, her world of being able to provide for herself was literally going to be ripped out from underneath her and torn upside down. The mother had just lost her son. But here's what's really interesting. The Bible says Jesus felt, in fact it says this, his heart went out to the mother. Now that phrase comes from a really fun word. It's called splagna, which means literally your guts are ripped out. I love that word. That just kind of, kind of sounds like a, something just coming from deep within, and that's exactly what it is. Now the whole scene kind of fascinates me. Because Jesus, on his way somewhere else, has an extraordinary reaction to an ordinary moment. We've all passed funeral processions. We've all passed things of people in life that are just kind of doing their thing and we're doing ours. Even though they may be hurting, we just kind of go in our opposite directions. But Jesus doesn't just have a passing pity. His guts were ripped out. Remember how we said you can tell something about a revolution when you look at its leader. He felt this woman's pain. So I'm going to ask the hard questions that I've asked myself, and maybe some of these might apply to you. When was the last time I had my guts ripped out for someone? Someone that was going through, you know, we all know of different situations, and I am as guilty as, oh, so sorry. But what was really interesting is, when was the last time I had that kind of a splagna reaction to somebody that I don't even really know? To a situation that I'm not overly familiar with? When was the last time I slowed down my life enough or allowed my agenda to be interrupted or spent time with someone that truly needed me? Or if I can push a little harder, when was the last time that I spent time with someone who made me uncomfortable? Or spent some time with somebody that God loves, but maybe I don't? Spend some, some, spend some time with somebody that God loves, but I don't agree with? Or spend time with somebody that didn't vote like I do? Or their ideas of our country? Or their ideas of racism? You name it. When was the last time? And that's what's so amazing about Jesus. He had an extraordinary reaction to an ordinary moment. 
But the second thing that fascinates me is what Jesus did. Occasionally, I would agree that I do have an emotional reaction to somebody, much like I'm sure you guys do. But even then, I typically don't do something about it. Well, Jesus felt something, and he did something. Felt something, and he did something. We're told that he walked up and literally touched the coffin of the man that had passed away. Now, again, if you understand that culture, that was a major, major no-no. He would have been declared unclean. There are a lot of things that went with that. Just a major thing you would not have done, especially a rabbi like himself. Jesus, whom we want to be alike, was crossing some boundaries. But how about us? Like I said, it's not always about money. What boundaries, whether that be racial, economic, you fill in the blank. What boundaries are you willing to cross to be an ambassador for the king? You know, last week, as I said, Tom encouraged us to be in the flow and to keep it going. And I thought, oh, that's so awesome. I was fired up in the back. I mean, you could just feel the momentum. I hope if you haven't seen it or weren't here that you get that sense if you do watch it. But it was like you could just feel the momentum building. And I thought, that is awesome. But then it, like, why does this seem like such a struggle? And then I was reminded of another old story I read in a book a long time ago. I know it's an extreme example, but I think it makes the point. There was a small church in Nazi Germany that they sang hymns so that they would drown out the cries of the people that were being taken to the death camps. Let's just sing a little louder so we don't hear the cries of the people that are being taken away. Now, it's easy for us in our world to go, I can't believe they do that, how cruel, how unhuman, how you... But yet, am I really any different? What have I filled my life with to drown out the noise? I mean, the list is a long one for me. Is it Netflix? Is it kids' sports? Is it my job? Is it... I don't know. What are we filling our life with that is drowning out what's going on out there. So I'm hoping, my whole hope for today is not so much, I don't want to come across as a Debbie Downer, why haven't, why not, why, I want us to go to the what ifs. What if, what if, what if, what if. What if today, what if today we decide we're gonna be different? This group right here, and whoever might watch on the, on the screen later. What if we decide, Kevin talks about doing things in community. What if in our circle of influence, we decide to be different? We decide to love different. We decide to look at people differently. We decide to act when we feel like. We decide to have some splagna on some people. Where our guts are ripped out and then we step into things. What if we want to get into the flow of what God through his spirit is doing? What if we start loving people radically? recklessly what if we start to slow down enough to even notice 
So if we start today, here's a couple of my prayers for us. Pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to reveal who you are, that you are an adopted kid of his. And it's out of that that we do this radical love. Pray that the Holy Spirit will soften our hearts, that we'll see people, we'll see hurts. Pray for the Holy Spirit's power, because on our own, I'm back to not really caring, quite frankly. So pray for more of his spirit, more of his power, so that we can step in and love radically. Maybe, 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 we need to ask for some forgiveness for those times when we haven't stepped in, when we haven't noticed, or when we've noticed and we didn't care. Pray that God will open your eyes to opportunities. What if? Man, that fires me up just to think about what if. So, here's where we're going to get practical. I'm going to run through a whole list of things that just my own brainstorming. Get your, get your little cards out. Some of these may resonate with you. Others of them may not, but they may spur something else. So here's the list that I came up with. They can be very simple little ideas. So, for example, showing God's love. Radical sort of ways. This week, because boy, it is that season, when you mow your yard, how radical would it be if you just went right on and mowed the neighbor's yard too? I have some beautiful neighbors that do that for me in the winter. <laughs> they take their snowblower and they see this old guy struggling with his shovel. And so it can be a huge blessing. You don't, you're not asked to do it. Just do it, just for the fun of it. Or how about this? When you take your garbage can in, how about rolling your neighbor's cans into the little things? Or how about this one? This one I loved. While we're watching or binge watching or whatever level of watching TV you might do in the coming days, write two notes of encouragement or two notes of thank you to somebody who's influenced your life. Or for those of you who are wonderful in the kitchen, not only make for your family, some of you do this already, make enough for somebody else. Just unexpectedly, uns just go bless somebody with a little bit of something. Whether that's cookies, whether that's a meal, just go a little above and beyond. Here's one that I personally have started, not done for a long time. Done it a couple of times already, and it's a hoot. I love this one. Put 20 bucks extra in your wallet, or for my case, in my phone. The other night we went out for work as a sales team, and this little gal who, she was doing the best that she could. It was so fun just to give her a $20 tip over and above. I didn't even know if my boss who paid for our, our meal gave her, I'm sure he did, but it was just fun to see her eyes, to see somebody that was just blessed by something. 20 bucks is nothing. That's about a day and a half of Mountain Dew in my life. Some of you know me too well to know that was too true. How about this one? Little things. Nothing to do with money. How about being servant-hearted enough to wipe up the sink area in a public restroom? You want to see somebody that's in the bathroom with you look at you in a weird sort of way? Go above and beyond. Be willing to do something that, wow, what is it about that? 
Or throw a party. Throw a block party. Throw a party. You know, where's my new friends and dear friend Sue? Have a, have a front porch party. If you've ever walked by their place, it's a wonderful, wonderful, inviting environment. I love Andy Griffith. Is there a world of difference between Andy, Barney, and Aunt B and Opie sitting on the front porch and then welcoming neighbors to being, and I'm not making or even saying this is a bad thing, or hanging out in your backyard with just you and your family? It's a little different, isn't it? Hmm. Things that make me go, hmm. Or maybe you saw it when you walked in. How about joining in with the Meals for the Heartland this coming Saturday? Or how about just if you were in a small group? We were in a small group with some high school kids, and we started an idea that we wanted to donate diapers over to Riverside Church over in Knoxville. You should have seen, I wish I had a picture. You should have seen how many diapers we were able to bring to them. They, they were able to give diapers to moms that were literally putting their babies in old raggedy t-shirts, 12 miles away. People that we probably know, see at the racetrack, see at ball games, people are hurting. So maybe your small group or maybe your family can do that. I know there's a start small thing with Bethany Christian Services. There's all kinds of different things that you might be able to do. Here's one that is also just a servant hearted. How about when we go to ball games, not only just pick up the trash in your little area, especially when you're on the road. Pick up the trash and your team's entire side. It's not so much about the act. Really, it's about where your heart is. Create common ground. Because blessing others changes our hearts. And when our hearts change, lives change. Here's a quote from the book that I thought it really just made sense, and it kind of tied this into the flourishing and exile idea. Get this one. What a hurting world is looking for is not a life-changing message, but a life that's been changed by the message. That's a big difference. The world is looking for a life that has been changed by how we love, whether we're servant-hearted and what we're doing. Because gang, it's really not about us, it's not about what we give, it's not about what we do. It's all about Jesus, the one thing. The one thing, all that we're doing is pointing to Jesus, who he is and what a difference he can make in people's lives. Because that's the story, that's the truth that we get the opportunity to then share once we break down some of those walls. So, let's all look over toward Hannah. Hannah is working on a painting. And it's based on a photo that I found that maybe some of you have seen, and I'm going to give you a little bit of the background of it because it's going to make a whole lot more sense to you. Born in Birmingham, Alabama, Francis Francois Clemens was a descendant of slaves and sharecroppers, but like many other blacks, his family moved north to the industrial Midwest where he grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. Clemens remained deeply connected to his roots, though both the spirituals through both the spirituals that his mother taught him and by cultivating his natural vocal talent in the church. Eventually, Clemens pursued a career as an opera singer and was already touring when Mr. Rogers heard him perform. Those of you who have been here before know I've got a thing for Mr. Rogers lately, aka his shoes. So 
He was in a church in Pittsburgh. Soon after hearing him, Mr. Rogers invited Clemens to appear in the neighborhood as a police officer. Fred came to me, Clemens recounts, and said, I have an idea. You could be a police officer. That kind of stopped me in my tracks. I grew up in the ghetto. I did not have a positive opinion of police officers. Policemen were sicking police dogs and water hoses on people. And I really had a hard time putting myself in that role. So I was not excited about being a police officer, Clemens, at all. But Rogers prevailed, and Clemens joined Mr. Rogers' neighborhood in August of 1968, only four months after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In doing so, Clemens became the first African-American with a recurring role in a children's television series. But as a progressive as this was, Rogers decided to press the social convention even farther. Episode 1065, which aired only a few months after Clemens' debut, opens in the typical manner with Rogers inviting viewers to his neighborhood, but instead of putting on his iconic cardigan, Rogers talks about how hot the day is and how nice it would be to put his feet in a pool of cold water. He moves to his front yard where he fills a small plastic pool with water and begins to soak his feet. Soon Officer Clemens drops by for a visit and Mr. Rogers invites him to share the pool with him. Clemens quickly accepts, rolls up his pant legs of his uniform, and places his very brown feet in the same water as Roger's very white feet. Today, this small gesture may seem insignificant, but in 1969, it was considerable. Like public fountains, public transportation, and public schools, the public pool had become a battleground of racial segregation. But here in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, a quiet Presbyterian minister and an African-American police officer show the world how to integrate swimming pools. Rogers invites, Clemens accepts. As Clemens slips his feet into the pool, the camera holds the shot for several seconds, as if it were to make the point clear. A pair of brown feet and a pair of white feet can share a swimming pool. Here's the cool part of the story. 25 years later, Rogers and Clemens reenacted this moment. A much older Rogers and Clemens sit with their feet in a similar blue wading pool, talking about the many different ways that children and adults say, I love you. From singing, to cleaning up a room, to drawing special pictures, to making plays. As the scene ends, Rogers takes a towel and helps Clemens dry his feet with a simple, here, let me help you. Boy, that sounds a lot like Christ right before the Last Supper. Let me repeat the verse that we started with this morning. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through a bond of peace. So this morning, we're going to have the Lord's Supper together. And it's interesting because the passage in 1 Corinthians is so the opposite of the Ephesians passage because Paul is, he has no praise for the Corinthians church because they've got all this separation going on. They're not unified. They're not anything like what he's talking about in the Ephesians chapter. He calls them to come together. So on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this 
whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So while their worship team is leading us in a couple of songs, you've got the packets, and quite frankly, sometimes they're a little frustrating to get the wafer out. So we're going to see once how community help each other, do whatever that is. You're going to be able to just serve each other, take communion on your own during the next couple of songs, but also just make this a time of remembrance for what God has done, what he's called you into out of his love. And then continue to work on your note cards, and then we will finish after that.